discussion about God and the argument that I made in the last session about God's existence being proven by uh, the Creator, uh, or the creation is proof of a Creator as a book is proof of an author, etc., would bring up the question, obviously, of evolution. And this is a very hot-button issue in our day. It would be very difficult for me in this brief half-hour session to undermine years and years of education. I'm personally disappointed that there's not more uh, information on both sides given in this argument. And many states, including ours that we live in here, are uh, they, they're debating and uh, what should be known for kids to learn in school. And of course, the issue that I like to make when it comes to knowledge and information about creation or evidences for creation is not kept out of our schools because it's not science. It's kept out of our schools because it, by law, we separate anything that could have religious overtones, at least supposedly we do. But we're going to see some response to that here in just a moment. I would contend that neither creation nor evolution can be observed, tested, repeated, or falsified. Thus, neither, neither can claim to fit the modern definition of science. When we, when we think of science, we think of things that can be done in a laboratory, things where you can have an hypothesis and then you go test it. But when we talk about origins, this is something that really needs to look, be looked at more historically because it's something that happened in the past. Now, we would want it to be scientifically verifiable or we'd want it to follow a scientific model, but I would claim neither can really fit the true definition of what is science. It can be neither observed, tested, repeated, or falsified. Um, I'm often told, people often say to me, Tom, you know, the difference between you and me is you have faith and I have science. And I think, that's great. Well, show me evolution. And 99 out of 100 times, they will respond with the exact same answer. And that is, well, show me God. And I said, well, wait a minute, we already admitted it. I've got the faith, you've got the science, so show me evolution. I don't have to show, I mean, we, we know I've got faith, how about you? Show me your evolution. Well, and 99 out of 100 times they'll say this, Tom, evolution's happened over such a long period of time, you can't see it. To which I say, I agree, congratulations, you have faith. Faith is to believe something you cannot see. And I would contend that to understand our origins, it is an aspect of faith. Whichever position you're going to hold, it takes faith because it's something that you don't see. We don't see it happening now. No one ever saw it happen in the past. And so we ask, rather than, than is it science, we ask this question, or we make this observation. Both evolution and creation have a model based on presuppositions by which they explain observable data. Now some people might even ask, does it matter? Or excuse me, I got ahead of myself. When we say uh, uh, presuppositions, many people think Christians have an agenda. Many people think Christians have a bias. 
Oh, obviously you're going to believe in Genesis because you believe in God. Obviously you're going to believe in creation because you believe in God. I'd like to say that the evolutionist has a bias as well. And many of the promoters of evolution, certainly not every evolutionist, but many of the, the most uh, vehement promoters of evolution in our world today are themselves atheists. And they have an agenda just as much as a Christian would have an agenda. They have a bias just like anyone else. They may say they are scientists, but they define science in such a way that God cannot fit the definition. They define science that there's a natural explanation for everything. And if that's your definition, and they don't have the natural explanation, they'll say, well, we'll find it someday. We're not going to attribute it to God just because we can't figure it out. But that is their bias coming through, and their bias in their definition. Don't be naive enough to think that all scientists are objective and all Christians are not. I like this quote um, that was in the New York Review. And, and this evolutionist writes, We take the side of science, and again, they pit science versus uh, religion. I would say it's faith in evolution versus faith in creation, okay? Science can be on the side of, by one definition on the side of both, by a different definition on the side of neither, if you're consistent. He writes, we take the side of science in spite of the patent absurdity of some of its constructs. In spite of its failure to fulfill many of its extravagant promises of health and life. In spite of the tolerance of the scientific community for the unsubstantiated just-so stories. Because we have a prior commitment. A commitment to materialism. It is not that the methods and institutions of science somehow compel us to accept a material explanation of the phenomenal world. But on the contrary, we are forced by our a priori adherence to material causes to create an apparatus of investigation and a set of concepts that produce material explanations, no matter how counterintuitive, no matter how mystifying to the uninitiated. Moreover, that materialism is an absolute, for we cannot allow a divine foot in the door. What a, what a statement. I know that it's, 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 he says some things in here that you might need to think about. What's he really saying? We're going to believe in materialism whether we can prove it or not. We're going to believe in materialism whether it has proof, or whether it's mystified and confusing or not, because no matter what, we're going to believe it for one simple reason. We will not allow a divine foot to get in the door, because who knows where that would lead. They're not objective either. The creation model... When we talk about both sides have different models, the creation model, this ranges from those who take Genesis literally to teach that in six days God made a mature and fully functioning universe in which living things will reproduce after their own kind. This is known as scientific creationism. There are also those who have a looser interpretation of Genesis but believe, there, or, and, and maybe some not even believe in Genesis at all, but believe there is overwhelming evidence for some sort of a creator or a designer, an intelligent being behind it all. This is called the intelligent design theory. And some people in the intelligent design camp are, uh, would, would be six-day literal creationists. Some people in the intelligent design camp would, be, would take Genesis real literal. Some people in the intelligent design camp think UFOs have planted life on, here on, you know, uh, but it couldn't have happened by chance. 
there's some explanation beyond what science can tell us. The evolution model claims this. Naturalistic evolution claims that all the diversity of life now on Earth is the result of mutations, natural selection, other random processes gradually changing, gradually changing over millions of years. Many people who believe in God try to make the Bible fit with evolutionary theory, claiming that God caused evolution to happen. This is caused, called theistic evolution. So in other words, they believe in evolution, but they also believe that, um, uh, that God is behind it. God, they realize that evolution is so incredible, so impossible, so miraculous, that God was behind it. Now, I'm the one teaching tonight. So you might ask where I fit. Some people who would know my position would say, gee, Tom, you must be a moron. Um, my position I do hold after I've, all that I've read, all that I've thought, all that I've uh, wrestled with, I hold a young earth literal creation from Genesis. I wish I had time to go into it for hours tonight. We don't. We're just going to touch on it. But if you hold a different opinion, fine. You're not teaching tonight, so uh, keep it to yourself. Um, does it matter what you believe? I believe it does. Both creation and evolution are far more than a model on how we, we believe things originated. Each has profound philosophical implications. Consider, for instance, life's major questions. What we call the old college questions. What you're supposed to have figured out by the time you leave college. Questions like, where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? Where did I come from? The, the biblical creation model says you're created by God. You're special. You're loved. You're unique. Your life is valuable because you're made in the image of your Creator. Whereas theist, naturalistic evolution would merely say, no, you're an accident. You got here by chance. You're the result of mutations. You, you are the result of mistakes in the genetic code and out popped you after you know, enough time. You know, it came from goo to you and no time at all. And, or excuse me, and a lot of time. You know, and, uh, and where is your value? You're just, you just happened to end up the way you did. We're, our value is only that we're at the top of the evolutionary chain but no inherent or innate value that comes from God. Why am I here? Biblical creationism would say you're here to fulfill, to love God and to love your fellow man. You're here to serve God and to serve your fellow man. Your ultimate purpose in life relates to loving and serving God and others. Whereas what would naturalistic evolution say? You're here to be fit. You're here to survive. There's... There's limited resources. You better struggle for them. You better get ahead. You better make sure your genes survive. You know, there's a competition. You're not here to serve your fellow man. You're here to make sure you survive. You get ahead. You, you, you are fit. Where am I going? Biblical creationism says every human being will ultimately go to either heaven or hell and will be there forever. Naturalistic evolution say, no, you, you know, you die. You're eaten by maggots. You, you, you sit in the ground. I mean, you lie in the ground. It's cold. Someday you're gone. That's all it is. I believe, you know, and, and again, if you're an evolutionist and you say, I don't believe that, please don't take offense. But I urge you to stop and think of the philosophical implications 
of these two different systems of origins. To me, they're quite stark, and they have dramatic implications on the way you and I will live our lives. Looking at the scientific evidence, first of all, I want to I want to state that creations do believe in some things. We believe in what's called microevolution. Microevolution. Creations don't believe in macroevolution. Macroevolution would mean mutating into a new kind, adding more genetic material via mutation, and that natural selection can explain the tremendous diversity we see. Microevolution has changed within a species. I ask people sometimes, get, you know, why do you believe, give me your evidence for evolution. Some people say, well, we live longer now than we used to. Okay, if that isn't even the result of hospitals and nutrition and shelter and things like that, if it really is caused by biology, which I doubt it is, but if it is, we're still human. Darwin's finches, they all, they, they, some had different sized beaks, but they were all finches. Uh, some people say we're taller than we used to, yet but we're still human. I mean, if my great-great-grandkids are all as big as Shaq, they're still human, you know? And so microevolution is changes within a species. Macroevolution is changed to a new species. Ultimately, the big difference between the two, the, the ultimate difference is that, that creation would say we reproduce after our kind. There is a limitation to, to variety that can happen. We don't new species don't come from other species. They stay within a certain realm. Um, some people say, you know, as I think of the difference here, I, I come up with, se I'd, I'd like to just mention several differences and then some questions that you can ask an evolutionist. Usually we're on the defensive here. We're usually, uh, you know, I, I ask people all the time, you know, give me your evidence. And they throw something out, often without understanding it, but they put us on the defensive. And by the way, if I could quickly mention also, evolution has changed. The, the term evolution has, it means something different than it used to mean. Do you know that? When I was younger, evolution meant changing into new species. We, there was this book by this guy, Charles Darwin, and it was entitled The Origin of Species. And, and evolution tried to tell how all the species came about. And while it still does that, now the term evolution has a new name, or excuse me, a new definition. And now evolution simply means change. Change. I was at the University of Nebraska once, and if you're watching this tape and you're a Cornhusker, I don't mean to insult you, but I was at the University of Nebraska. And I challenged the audience gathered there, can anyone give me evidence for evolution? A professor, an associate professor of anthropology, stepped forward and he said, I can give you evidence. This is a professor. All right? These were his exact words. Tom, you ever seen a baby? Yeah. Did the baby grow up to become an adult? Yeah, that's evolution. I said to him, if that's evolution, I'm an evolutionist. But if we're talking about all the diversity of life, that somehow we're related to, to not only primates, but you go back far enough, we're related to grass and cockroaches and mosquitoes and, and goldfish, and, and we're far enough back, it all came, and we all this tree of life, 
That I don't buy. But I do buy the children grow to adulthood. Anyway, I think some of the evidence, number one that I think is the incredible complexity and design of life and the universe. Wow. I mean, we know that the biblical basis says that God has created us. He's weaved us in the womb. That He's the creator of life. And, and even, it's interesting, it says He weaved our inward parts in the womb. Isn't that an interesting thing? As we have just discovered, it, it really in my lifetime, the whole area of DNA. That what we are made up in our, every cell is this incredibly complex information that is, in, that is in us, that tells what we will be, that it's taken some of the greatest minds and supercomputers even to be able to identify it. And God had created this. And we, as, as creationists, we don't think that could happen by itself. It would be easier for a, instead of encyclopedia, to fall together. Oh, and I know we've been told that can happen. As a matter of fact, I know we've been told, what, a thousand monkeys sitting in a thousand typewriters, which is an old antique now, but this is what, a thousand monkeys sitting in a thousand typewriters, given enough time, could write the works of Shakespeare. Have you heard that? How many have heard that? You know, yeah. Well, I'm a skeptic. And uh, I was at the University of Pennsylvania once. And there's all these brainiacs there, and so I said, let's figure this out. Let's see if that really could happen. Instead of take the works of Shakespeare, let's try one sentence. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. One sentence. By the way, the most popular sentence, most widely read sentence in the history of the world. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So instead of a typewriter with all those keys, let's just say 26 with a, a, a space bar. I'm giving it the benefit of the doubt. There's 52 letters, I believe, in, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 52 letters and spaces. I asked these guys, would one of you get out your calculator and figure out what are the odds of that sentence by a thousand monkeys randomly typing, typing could it happen? In other words, it became, the, the question is, what number is 54 to the 22nd, 26, 27th power? 26 letters in the space bar. 52 to the 27th power. A guy came up with a, a, a number that was really, really, really big. No one knew how to pronounce it. None of us had known of a number this big. We tried to figure out, we, we did a little calculating later on. You know the odds of someone typing that sentence by random, you know? The odds of it happening? It would be easier for you to win the Super Lotto jackpot and to win it a second week in the row and to win it a third week in the row and to win it a fourth week in the row and to win it a fifth week in a row. As a matter of fact, it would be easier for a person to win the super lotto jackpot five straight weeks. Not just five in their lifetime. Five consecutive weeks. You going to bet your soul on that happening? You willing to take those odds? Gee, I wouldn't. Now, although it could happen, I figured, you know, as we were talking about, you... You, you win the Super Lotto jackpot first week, everybody wants to be your friend. You, you forgot, didn't know you had so many relatives. You know, if you win the second week, the FBI shows up at your door. They're sure you cheated. You, it, 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 and if you win the third week, you probably would win four and five, wouldn't you? No one else will play again. They're, everybody's convinced you're cheating. They say it's impossible. There's no way it could happen. And indeed, there's no way of a DNA 
we'd say coming together. Questions for the evolutionists. Do you really believe that chaos plus time equals order? Isn't that a violation of common sense? I mean, just look at your room at home. Look at your desk, you know. You clean it up. Give it more time. It doesn't come together. It goes apart. It becomes more chaotic. Question for the evolution. Can you point to anything with complexity, design, and order that we know came about by chance? And this gets back to the, the question we talked about in session two. Can you point to anything, creation, design, and order to it that we know came about by mere chance? The answer is no. Second, second evidence, the law of biogenesis. Life reproduces life. The biblical basis is Genesis 1. Where God tells us, God says, reproduce after your own kind. And we see in Genesis it says, you know, fish will reproduce fish. Uh, uh, mammals will reproduce mammals. Um, trees will reproduce trees. Everything will reproduce after its own kind. So the question for the evolutionists, how do you believe that inorganic material came alive? If everything was once not alive, how did it come alive? People talk about, and, and uh, you know, I, I hear these things that people say, well, you know, you can have a, a, the, the experiment where, uh, you know, a primordial soup and some, uh, put electrical current through it, and we can have life begin in the test tube. It's never happened. Don't believe what people, don't, it has never happened. There have been amino acids come to life momentarily that immediately die off and never reproduce. There's never, amino acids could be the building blocks of life, but there's never been life created by that means yet. I was once the host of one of the most brilliant scientists in the whole world. I don't know why he was hanging out with me, but he was, he was there at my home. And we were talking about this thing, and he talked about how uh, inner, or, or something that's not alive but has all the components of life and adding energy to it. He said, Tom, no one really believes that. And he gave me a simple example. You ready? I mean, it, it, some brilliant people can make things so simple. And he, and Dr. A.E. Wildersmith, and he said this. He said, do you think there's a person alive on earth that thinks you can take a can of sardines? I mean, it's got everything there. I mean, they're, they're, all, they're fish in it. The fish were once alive, now they're dead. But it's got all the components of life, everything there. It's just, it's just not alive, but it's got everything else there. Does anyone think you can take a can of sardines, nuke it, microwave it, shoot it, bang it, do whatever you want? Does anyone think any of those fish will ever come alive? Obviously not. It's absurd. You could do it with... Uh, it, it would never happen, and no one would ever think so. And yet, the question, how did inorganic material come alive? The basis that the evolutionists can't really answer. Do we know of it ever happening? Has it ever been observed? Is a good question. Third, the law of genetics. The biblical basis, Genesis 1, is that we will reproduce after their own kind. Like I said, trees, trees. Flowers, flowers. Corn, corn. Goldfish, goldfish. Uh, dogs, dogs. Uh, you know, dogs don't have kittens. You know? Uh, and, and we'd reproduce after our own kind. In 1 Corinthians, the biblical basis, we read that all flesh is not the same flesh. There is, there is a distinction. And, of course, we see it now. We understand genetics. We, we understand things that, that they were saying in biblical times. Uh, I'm sure they didn't understand genetics and DNA, but we see now that there's, there is this difference. Questions for the evolutionists. Do you have any evidence that one species has ever given birth to a new species 
and the new one actually began to reproduce. There really aren't any. Unless you define species in such a loose, loose, loose way that, uh, and I suppose you can define it in such a way that you could come up with something, but it's hard to believe. I mean, you know, again, people say, well, Darwin's finches were different species. Well, what, what were they to start with? They were finch. Well, what did they become? A finch. Okay. All right, next question. Can you cite natural mutations that were beneficial to the offspring? This is the evolution is based on the idea mutations are beneficial. That we have become the, the top of creation through mutations. Are mutations beneficial? Hardly ever. I mean, if you're... Say you're, you know, you're pregnant, and the the uh, the, the the doctor says to you, I, "I need to talk to you." What about? Well, we've done some testing and found out your baby has mutations. What do you think? Do you think, "Oh, great! <laughs> I'm gonna have a mutant baby," you know? Or you think your heart sinks? Oh, what's wrong? What's wrong with her? What's wrong with him? Why? Because mutations are not beneficial. The next evidence, the first and second laws of thermodynamics. First, uh, uh, first law of thermodynamics, matters being neither created nor destroyed. The second law, all things tend toward disorder and disunity, what we call entropy. The biblical basis, Genesis 2.1, tells us the heavens and the earth were created. God stopped creating at that point. In Genesis 3.14-21, God cursed the earth. Death entered into the earth. That God did not create the original universe with entropy, if you will, but it came as a result of the curse of Adam's sin. Questions for the evolutionists. Evolution teaches an upward progression from simplicity to complexity. But the laws of thermodynamics, indeed all we observe, show us that everything is becoming more disordered. How do you explain this discrepancy? And their answer is, we don't live in a closed system that there's energy coming in from the sun. It's a cop-out. It's not an appropriate answer. The truth is, every, everywhere we see it, we, we, we see entropy all around us. Closed system or not, it's everywhere. Everything is tending towards this ordinance. We die. We get diseased. Buildings don't build themselves up. They decay. Cars don't... You know, they're, they're not better at 300,000 miles than they were brand new. They wear out. Everything wears out. This is, this is the laws of thermodynamics and, and of entropy. And to say that, that sunlight coming in can reverse the process, well, number one, we observe the process with all the sunlight coming in into, the, into our system. And number two, energy coming in isn't always beneficial. I mean, you get too much sunlight, you might get skin cancer. You might have a car. We used to live in Southern California. All our cars were, the, the paint would peel off because the, the sun would beat on them so often. Sunlight in and of itself is not beneficial unless it can be, uh, has a system to, to take that energy and to, the information to utilize it, such as photosynthesis. But the first and second laws of thermodynamics would say the universe should be going like this. Evolution is saying what we're what, that's claiming it's going like this. What do we observe? I think we're observing this. The fossil record. We believe the fossil record began with Genesis six through eight, the flood of Noah. At least I do. 
that these huge fossil beds that the earth was one time flooded and that all life was, uh, that was not on the ark was destroyed. The evolutionist tends to believe that the fossil record is the result of, of strata and layers, uh, hundreds of thousands or millions of years per strata gradually, slowly developing in our geological column and the fossil records being embedded in there. I believe that happened quickly. Questions for the evolutionists. How do you account for the complex forms of life being found in the supposedly oldest layers in the geological column? And there is very complex life in some of the oldest Precambrian layers. Next question. Why, after 150 years of searching, have evolutionists not found one single genuine transitional link in the fossil record? And they haven't. We see stuff like a horse found in different parts of the world where they, they put them next to one another as if one came from another with no evidence that one ever led to the other, no evidence they were ever related, no evidence they were ever even part of the same part of the world. But it can look real good in a book. And in all this searching, there's never been yet found one genuine transitional link. As I said as I began, it, it's, it's hard for me in, in a, these brief moments to... Um, to challenge and to build a case for what is an assumption that is built into our entire education for the last 10, 12, 15, 20 years or longer. I hope I've given you some questions to think about. I could give you a couple websites, answersingenesis.org. One word, answersingenesis.org. Another great site, especially if you're a bit more scientifically minded. So this one's done by people who are a bit more advanced, shall we say. Uh, ICR, stands for Institute for Creation Research, .org. And, uh, and I would encourage you to look on those sites if you're interested in this. But we don't need to back down. We don't need to believe that we're imbeciles. They have all this science on their side. I really believe evolution is a house of cards. I believe it's like the old emperor with no clothes on. And, you know, and everybody doesn't realize until someone says it, and finally everybody says, hey, he doesn't have any clothes on. You know? I believe the day is coming, and it, and, and it is approaching us, where there are a growing number of scientists that are not believers in Genesis, and many are not even Christian. But they're saying this whole evolution that we've all been taught, it isn't as solid as we thought. There, it, it, we're, we're gaining so much knowledge of science. We're understanding this so much complexity. Remember Darwin used to talk about what's called the simple cell? Do you see the textbook that you study the cell nowadays? It's one of the biggest ones on campus. It's not a simple cell. It's, it, it, it's like a city. They, they call it a city. It is so complex. It's got its own systems. It's like this, this most basic system is complex beyond what we could have fathomed not too many years ago. And I think the day is coming when, when this confidence in evolution will come shatter, will come crashing down. You don't have to believe it. You do have to have peace of mind. I, I'm willing to admit as a creationist that there are difficult things that were hard for me to answer in light of all we've been taught. 
But I hope the evolutionists will say, you know, there's a lot of difficult things that they can't answer either. It's not as cut and dry as we think. And in light of that, I'm confident in the biblical record. It has to the test of time. It took a big hit in the first part of the 20th century. It took a big hit. The Scopes Monkey Trial humiliated those who believed in creation. But those days, uh, it is recovering with more and more scientists and intellectuals becoming confident this world couldn't have just happened. Life couldn't have just happened. There is got to be a God behind it. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are our creator. And we thank you that we can trust in your goodness, your intelligence, your power. We thank you that, that you made us and you have a purpose for us and you have a future for us. Tonight, by faith, we believe that you caused this world to come into being. And you created it as it is. And Lord, we did not see it, but we do trust you and what you said. And we thank you, Lord, the more we look around us, the more we discover the evidence of your handiwork everywhere we look. We thank you and bless you now in Jesus' name. Amen.